Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 23rd of October 2022, 9.30 service. Katie Loughman speaking on Getting the Most Out of Personal Time with God. So it's great to be in church together, isn't it? Worshipping together with other people like this. And we get so much out of all the things that church has to offer, don't we? We've been hearing about some of them over the last few weeks. But the church is only one part of our relationship with God. Like any relationship, our relationship with God needs time to grow. Time spent just the two of us. Just you and God, me and God, alone together. Time spent listening and talking and reading the Bible and praying. The traditional name for that time alone with God is quiet time. Quiet time is usually first thing in the morning and it usually consists of reading the Bible, thinking about what you've read and praying. I remember as a child sometimes coming downstairs in the morning and seeing my mum sitting at the table with her Bible in front of her, getting some quiet time with God before the rest of us got up and started making demands. Quiet time is a daily discipline that's been practiced by people in the church for centuries in different forms. And later in this sermon, I'll be looking at some of the things that we can do in our quiet times. To me, it's a kind of gold standard to aspire to every day, first thing in the morning, time alone with God. I have to confess that although I aspire to it, I don't always manage it. Sometimes I go through phases when I get a really good routine and, uh, and I'm waking up nice and early to read my Bible and pray before I start the day. At other times, it's hard to fit it in. And that first half hour of the day gets swallowed up by all kinds of other things, including sleep. It's far too easy to pick up my phone and get distracted. And once that happens... I act as if my time with God has to fit around everything else. And that's if it gets fitted in at all. But that's not how it should be. Time alone with God needs to be intentional or else it gets squeezed out. Daniel was someone who gave his time alone with God a high priority. The early chapters of the book of Daniel are full of his wisdom, his gift of interpreting dreams his faithfulness to God in the face of persecution. In chapter 6, we find out where that wisdom and that bravery comes from. Verse 10, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. He was a man living in exile, so he prayed by his window, looking out to Jerusalem in the direction of his homeland, towards Jerusalem, which is the place where God came to meet with his people. And God met with Daniel there in his room. Many times he answered Daniel's prayers so that Daniel could serve his master, the king, well and run the country with integrity and conscientiousness. Daniel's faith was challenged over and over again. The first time we hear about it was when Daniel first arrived in Babylon as a young nobleman in exile. He was one of a group chosen for an elite education in Babylonian ways to enter the king's service. Part of the deal was that he would eat the same food as the king. 
Now, this was a problem for Daniel because as an Israelite, he wanted to eat according to God's law. No shellfish, no mixing meat and milk. Not easy in a Babylonian palace. So Daniel persuaded the official that was looking after them to give him, to give him and his fellow Israelites a vegetarian diet so that they wouldn't break God's law. And they thrived. Daniel didn't compromise his faith. He wanted to follow God's commands in his own life and he kept God's law alive for future generations in the midst of that non-Jewish culture. Three years pass and Daniel graduates from the king's training scheme with flying colours. He becomes a highly respected official in the king's palace. More years go by and there's a new king, Darius. And he was so impressed with what a good job Daniel was doing that he planned to make him his second in command, running the whole country. And we heard in our reading what happened next. The Babylonian leaders were jealous and they decided to bring him down. But there was no scandal that they could pin on him. Every day, no, eventually, they resorted to attacking his faith. They got the king to pass a new law, forcing everyone to worship King Darius. Praying to any god became illegal. And the penalty? To be thrown in the lion's den. Now, from what you have know of Daniel, I'm sure you remember what Daniel does next. He goes home and prays to God, and the Bible says just as he had before. It was nothing special, it's what he always did. But this time, someone is spying on him, and Daniel is carted off to the lion's den. Daniel, who'd been so faithful all his life, continues to be faithful, even when the penalty for that is death. That time alone with God is what gave him the bravery to resist blasphemy and idolatry, even to defy the king, whether it was over what he ate or who he worshipped. It's time alone with God that was his guiding light that gave him the wisdom he needed to govern the country well. It was his time alone with God that gave him the strength to remain faithful and obedient to God even when it meant death. He was bold, he was strong because God was with him. Daniel was a very important man and probably very busy. But this time with God was the powerhouse of a life of faith. And it's that which meant that he could rise to the challenges of his demanding life. And it's the same for us. This time alone with God is the powerhouse of our own life. It gives us wisdom and guidance for the things that we have to do. It makes us brave to do the right thing when it's not easy. And when we spend time with God, it keeps us faithful to the person that God wants us to be. We need that guiding light too. But Daniel's life goes beyond that. He's a prophet. And the second half of the book goes on to tell us of some of the visions he had, which, helped, which help us to understand God's plan for the world. It shows how time spent alone with God makes us sensitive and open to God speaking to us. But going back to chapter 6 and the awful persecution that he suffered, when I read this chapter, something really struck me 
the similarities between what happened to Daniel and some of the things that happened to Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Like Jesus, Daniel was in trouble for living a godly life and being incorruptible. So a twisted plot is hatched to kill him. Both rely on a betrayer to get the job done. They even passed a brand new law just to catch Daniel. When they know that their life is in danger, both Jesus and Daniel spend time alone with God, preparing for what's to come and gaining strength from God. The next thing was the stone. I don't know if, it's, if it was usual to seal stones, but this detail really stood out to me. Daniel and Jesus are sealed up to make sure that they die and stay dead. Didn't work though, did it? Early in the morning, people who care rush to the scene, expecting the worst, only to find that death has been defeated. And Daniel and Jesus, both of them were alive. And there are other similarities too. The guilty conscience of the king, echoed by Pilate and his wife. The intervention of an angel. And even the jeers of the crowd, let God rescue him, was said to Daniel as well as to Jesus. What happened to Daniel was not random. It was a prefiguring of Jesus. Just as God rescued Daniel, so he would rescue Jesus and ultimately us too. Daniel went on to have a long and successful career at the palace, but he was also a prophet. The rest of the book of Daniel is his visions and prophecies of kingdoms that will rise and fall, and of the Son of Man who will usher in an eternal kingdom. But Daniel not only told us about God and about Jesus, he lived it too. And those insights came to him through his personal life with God, his personal time spent one-to-one -one with God. So this meant that when Matthew came to write his gospel, it made sense for Matthew to make those connections in his narrative to help us to recognise that it's Jesus who rescues and saves. He is the Son of Man whose kingdom will never be destroyed. And the children here have got some, this is a prophet that they've got to, for their colouring. It says here, prophets tell of the promised Messiah. And maybe this is a picture of Daniel here, who knows. 600 years later, Jesus came. He was also a very busy man. But like Daniel, he carved out time from his schedule to be alone with God. He didn't just wait for times when he didn't have anything more to do. He deliberately made the time. Often in the Gospels, we see him leaving the crowds and going up a hill to be with his father and pray by himself. As with Daniel, that time was the powerhouse of his ministry. It kept him firmly anchored in his relationship with God. It was his guiding light that kept him faithful to the task God had given him, faithful to God's will. So how can we do the same? How can we train our eyes on that guiding light? Well, Jesus has given us some instructions. We heard them in our second reading. The first thing Jesus says is, go into your room and shut the door, just as Daniel did. That's what he did. 
It's a private thing. Jesus stresses that we're praying to our Father. Because he loves us and he sees into our hearts, he already knows what we need. So Jesus says we don't need lots of words to say anything hypocritical. It won't wash. Instead, Jesus gives us a simple form of words to say what's in our heart, the Lord's Prayer. But it's more than a prayer. It's a template for our time with God, whether we use those particular words or not. So we start by praising God. We acknowledge our relationship with him, our Father. We are his child. And we approach him with reverence because he's holy. Next, we pray for the spread of God's kingdom throughout the world, for people to live for him here, just as the angels and God's people do in the spiritual realms. Every time we act in the way that God wants, every time we express his love, we're advancing his kingdom here on earth. So we pray for guidance in all that we do, for big decisions and small decisions, or for, so that we can know the wise way to act in any situation that we find ourselves in. We pray to discern God's will so that we can live in the right way. But it's not all about doing the right thing. God knows we need to eat too. He knows there's a cost of living crisis. And Jesus tells us to ask God for what we need. And then we ask for his forgiveness for anything that we're not proud of, our sins. We can ask God to remind us of the things we've done during the day that we shouldn't have done. And in return, he expects us to forgive anyone who's done us wrong. And this is the place to do it, our time alone with God. We ask for his grace to take away any grudges or resentments that we're holding on to and to fill our hearts with the forgiveness that we've received from him. And that bit's really important because the next thing Jesus says is that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven ourselves. And that would be awful. And finally, Jesus tells us to ask for protection from, from temptation and for strength to resist. Just as Daniel was delivered from the lions, we ask God to deliver us, to rescue us from the dangers and the sufferings of life and to save us from harm. So that's Jesus' formula for how to pray when we're alone with God. Get in the right frame of mind with some praise, ask for God's guidance, bring our needs to him, and give to ask and give forgiveness, lean on him to rescue us. And that's a really useful structure for our daily quiet time. If we can cover all of those things, then we're doing well. But time alone with God includes listening to God as well as talking to him. And one way to do that is through the Bible. There are lots of apps and, uh, and, and different booklets which help us to read the Bible. But I'd just like to share three different ways that I read the Bible. One of my favourite ways is to use the chain reference in the NIV Study Bible. So I've got it here. This is my NIV Study Bible, which is a bit battered. And it's a, um, so it's a bit expensive, it's 35 99 but you can get them secondhand. And this one is good for Bible study. And it has explanations at the bottom of the page, so you can see there the paragraphs at the bottom. And it, at the back, it's got maps and all sorts of other information. 
But it's the chain reference that I really enjoy. So you can see in verse 14 of Daniel 6 that we just read at the top there, it says, the king was greatly distressed about Daniel having to be put to death. And then in the margin, it points us to Mark chapter 6, verse 26, the account of John the Baptist's beheading. And again, it says in Mark, the king was greatly distressed. And I find these kinds of connections really fascinating. You can follow a person through the Bible or see an idea being developed in different parts of the Bible. And it really gives me a deeper understanding of what the Bible is saying. Another way of reading the Bible is Lectio Divina, which is more contemplative. In this one, you pick a passage, like, for example, a parable, and you read it slowly, twice, maybe out loud, and you allow the words to sink into your mind <clears throat> as you're reading it. Then you spend a few minutes in silence, thinking about the passage, and you wait for a phrase to stand out. You look for a phrase to kind of jump out at you. And when it does, you focus just on that phrase in silence. And then you read the passage through again, maybe twice, and you spend a few minutes in silence again, and you look for a single word to strike you. It may be a word from the phrase that you've just been thinking about, or it might be something quite different. After that, you read the passage again. So that's, a, so that's another period in silence. Then you read the passage again, and you think about your day or your life, and you ask God to speak to you through it. And you spend a few minutes in silence applying the phrase or the word to something in your life. And you let it speak into something that you need to do or show you a way that maybe you need to change or perhaps bring to mind something that you need to talk to God about. And finally, you pray that God will enable you to live out what you've just heard from him. That's Lectio Divina. There's lots of guidance for it on the internet. There's different ways of doing it. Um, and it's easy to look up methods. And the third thing that I'd like to recommend is an app called Lectio 365. It's a 10-minute Bible meditation for every day, morning and evening. You listen to a couple of verses of the Bible, and, you, uh, and then a voice helps you to think it through and, you apply it to, and to apply it to your life. So there are times for thinking with meditative music and some prayers too. It's very soothing and it's very easy and it's only 10 minutes, but it helps you to start and end the day with God. I like to do it before I get up, but this man on their website is listening while he's out and about. And that's something I'd just like to end on, where we spend time alone with God. Some times and places are better than others. You'll know what works for you, but the most important thing is that we do it. Some people listen to the Bible on headphones on the train. Some people pray while they're out walking or at their desk at lunchtime. It just needs to be somewhere where you can focus without being disturbed. Of course, we can pray to God anywhere, anytime, and that can be like spiritual snacking through the day. But we also need a dedicated time alone with him, like a good meal. It's really important nourishment for our spiritual faith, our spiritual health. So let's be like Daniel. 
Let's copy Jesus. Daniel was a living prophecy of Jesus, and we will be a living prophecy of God's kingdom. A kingdom filled with the praise and plenty and forgiveness of the Lord's Prayer. And just like Daniel and Jesus, our time alone with God is our powerhouse and our guiding light. We can't do without it.